It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we're speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. For the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, and he is able to help those who are being tempted. Thanks, Sam. Father, thank you that you speak to us, and you speak to us finally and fully through your Son, the Lord Jesus. Please show us more of him this morning. Amen. Amen. It'd be great if you could have Hebrews chapter 2 open. It's a great passage. Um, I've been on half term this week, um, and during term time, it's quite sad, during term time, I rarely get the chance to read. Um, and I haven't read much fiction for a long time. Probably I haven't read any fiction since, since the summer. And so I've been reading a, a couple of books. I've been reading some Alistair MacLean books. Alistair MacLean books. Now, Alistair MacLean, I read Alistair MacLean when I was a teenager. Alistair MacLean was a very popular um, Scottish author in the 1970s. Um, I think it's really important that preachers are in touch with, um, with modern culture. And I can confirm I'm in touch with culture from... 50 years ago. Um, so that's good. Um, but I really like Alistair MacLean. And uh, here are two of his um, most famous books, uh, The Guns of Navarone and HMS Ulysses. If you're, if you're a teenager and you don't know what I'm talking about, come find me afterwards, please. I'll happily lend these to you. Um, and uh, Guns of Navarone, uh, lots of you will know, is about um, a, a crack team uh, dropped behind enemy lines uh, to blow up uh, German artillery guns that are heavily defended um, in this fortress. 
just dropped there on their own. HMS Ulysses is about a convoy in the North Atlantic that is going from uh, Britain all the way across to Russia, and they are basically left to the German attacks by the British Admiralty. And Alistair McLean's books all have similar themes. Lots of them are about people who are sent into extreme situations with a really difficult mission. Uh, They're often about people being dropped behind enemy lines. They're normally people who are on the edge of mental and physical exhaustion. Uh, They're people who are weary. They're people who don't want to be there. They're often tempted to give up, but they keep going. Um, They feel very isolated. And one of the themes that keeps on coming through is that they feel cut off from the powers that be back in Britain back in headquarters, who are just sending them out onto this mission and just expecting them to do it. And they have very little contact with them. But it's okay because they depend on their own guts and strength and abilities to get through. And I wonder if you've ever felt like that as a Christian. I wonder if you feel like that as a Christian this morning. You feel spiritually exhausted. You feel burdened. <clears throat> you feel like the task of being a Christian and following God's will is too much for you. You feel overwhelmed by the attacks of the devil and you feel overwhelmed by temptation and sin. And you feel isolated from God. You feel that God is distant to you. And you know that that's not great and you know that you just need to sort it out. You need to pull yourself together, get a grip and become a better Christian like all those great Christians at church. And the thought of that makes you even more exhausted. Well, if that's you, and that's certainly been me at many times in my Christian life, Hebrews 2 should be a great encouragement to you this morning. Verses 1 to 4 of chapter 2, they're actually a diversion. They're a, they're a, um, a parenthesis. Uh, the writer to the Hebrews stops his train of thought at the end of chapter 1, and then he puts in a little warning. He wants to warn us to keep our eyes on Jesus. But that's just a, a side note. Actually, chapter 2, verse 5 follows on from the end of chapter 1. And what has been happening in chapter 1, David's already mentioned lots of it this morning, it's been saying how great Jesus is. He is superior. He is the creator of the universe. He is the sustainer of all things. He is the Father's ultimate final revelation to us. He is superior to angels. He is superior to his enemies. He defeats evil and he is God. And wasn't it amazing to hear that passage preached last week? And I hope, like me, you came away from that thinking, wow, Jesus is amazing. Jesus is incredible. Jesus is much bigger than he is in my mind. And I need to urgently recalibrate my thinking. But let me just ask you this question. What would happen if Hebrews stopped at the end of chapter 1? In fact, what would happen if the whole of the Bible only contained in it the themes from Hebrews chapter 1? We would all come away, wouldn't we, knowing those great themes, those great truths. Jesus is creator, sustainer, ruler, rescuer. He's the magnificent Lord, the King of kings. But what if that was all that the Bible said? You see, the danger is that Jesus would be a very distant Lord. He'd be magnificent, but unapproachable. He'd be far above all things, but also far above any kind of relationship with us. He'd be a bit like the sun in the sky. We know that the sun is there. We can see the sun. We know that the sun is good. We know that the sun is powerful. But we also know the sun is a long way away. And we have absolutely no chance of ever coming anywhere close to it. In fact, it'd be dangerous to come anywhere close to it. 
And here's my suggestion to you. See what you think about it. If Hebrews 1 was all that we had, then that is what Jesus would be to us. A magnificent but distant ruler. That's not really what the chapter says, but it would be easy to get that impression. And that is the way religions go, isn't it? Loads of religions have built into their theology, written into their theology, the fact that God is unapproachable. God is distant. And that's sometimes how we think, isn't it, as Christians on a day-to-day basis. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. Um, And if so, it's fantastic to have you here. Thanks for coming. Maybe you think of God as good and powerful, but distant. He's some faraway good God person up there. Maybe you think about him differently. Maybe you think about him as being a mean ruler, a tyrant, but also distant up there. That isn't what the writer of the Hebrews thinks. And he's going to show us that in chapter 2. Chapter 1 is really important, and so is chapter 2. So let's dive in. And the first thing we're going to see is that God doesn't intend to be a distant ruler. Look at verse 5 with me. Verse 5, the the writer of the Hebrews says, It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. The writer is quoting from Psalm 8. And in Psalm 8, the psalmist tells us that God cares about us and he wants relationship with us. Verse 5, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? I looked at a few websites yesterday to try and find out how big is the universe. And the internet failed me because it turns out no one knows. The best guess, from what I read, is that the furthest star from here, the furthest star that we can see, is 13.2 billion light years away. But some scientists estimate that the universe beyond what we can see, what we can see and what we can't see, is 250 times bigger than that. Now, I don't know if that's right or not. I don't really understand that. All I know is the universe is really big. It's really big. And humanity is tiny. Within the context of the universe, humanity is a tiny speck. But what does Psalm 8 says? It says God cares about us. God cares for mankind. And he's even given us a role in this world. And the role is to rule over this world as godly rulers under him, the great king. But verse 8 says, Yet at present we do not see everything subject to them, to humanity. So Psalm 8 isn't the way things are. It's the way things should be. And that goes back to Adam. Because with Adam, God gave Adam this wonderful role and authority. But Adam blew it by sinning and rejecting God as king. But here comes God the Son. He steps into creation. He steps into humanity. He comes to be the true ruler of the world, to do what Adam didn't do, to be the true human, to show humanity what humanity should be. Verse 9, but we do see Jesus, who was made, little, made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Do you see that amazing flip between chapter 1 and chapter 2? 
chapter 1, verse 5 following, the writer to the Hebrews wants to make it absolutely clear to us that Jesus is superior to angels. He's superior to angels. We don't know if there was something going on in the, in the church he's, he's writing to or, or, or preaching to, that they thought angels were, were amazing, just as good as, as Jesus. And the writer wants to say to them, no, Jesus is superior to angels, verse after verse after verse. He says, Jesus is superior to angels. And then chapter 2, verse 9, he says, Jesus is made lower than the angels. The sun steps down and takes on human nature. I don't think we're ever going to get our heads around that. That God cares so much for broken humanity, broken because it has rebelled against him, that the son willingly steps down, even to death. Hebrews chapter 1 says, Jesus is great. It's there in flashing neon lights. Jesus is great. And the shock of chapter 2 is how low he goes for us. Now that doesn't sound like a distant God, does it? That doesn't sound like an aloof ruler who wants to send a message to one of, his, one of his peasant subjects over there and so he sends it out with a messenger while he sits on his throne and he never meets them. That doesn't sound like that kind of ruler. It sounds like a God who cares. The son who steps down. And then have a look at verses 10 to 13. Jesus is the brother with brothers and sisters. Verse 10, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their 